Hello, everyone. I'm Kirby Fine. I'm a principal on the investment team at ATL Partners, a private equity firm focused on the aerospace, transportation, and logistics sectors. And I'm joined by uh, Gordon Branoff, CEO of Pilot Freight Services. And we're excited to be part of the Freight Waves uh, Last Mile Conference. And today we'll be covering trends in the heavy, bulky last mile B2C market. And Gordon, it's probably helpful if we start off uh, with you giving a background on Pilot and it's uh, where it plays in the B2C home delivery segment. Sure, great, thank you, Kirby. Yeah, Pilot is a global logistics provider and we're really organized with two business units, two business segments, B2B and B2C, uh, both on the domestic and the global side. B2C does include our full and final mile solution. And so for purposes of this discussion, we're really going to focus on the B2C segment. And for some additional context, Pilot B2C home delivery is really focused on the heavy, bulky, non-conveyable goods, typically something that requires a value add, an installation, an assembly, uh, some sort of white glove service. Uh, that's where we primarily focus our, our B2C business. Um, and within that space, within the U.S. heavy, bulky B2C space in the home delivery market, Pilot is the second largest player uh, just behind XPO, and we are seeing significant growth in this space. Great. Thanks, Gordon. And just to give some further background on the differences between the, the parcel market and the heavy, bulky last mile market, uh, the heavy, bulky last mile segment of the market is smaller than the parcel market at uh, around 13 billion versus the U.S. parcel market at around 114 billion. It's also growing at a faster rate of uh, 12% versus the 9% growth in the U.S. parcel market. Uh, and it's much more fragmented with no single player uh, in the heavy bulky market uh, representing more than 7%. Whereas on the parcel side, you have four players, USPS, FedEx, UPS, and Amazon that collectively control 90% of deliveries. And Gordon, is there anything else you'd add there on the differences between the two markets? Yeah, absolutely, Kirby. Uh, from an infrastructure perspective, there's significant differences in the network, right? When you think about the network required to deliver uh, envelopes and small parcels in a UPS truck, uh, very different than what's required for, for managing large, heavy, bulky freight with two-person delivery and an assembly of a possible large outdoor furniture set or some sort of white glove additional value-add service. So, uh, yes, significant differences in the infrastructure. Great. Thanks, Gordon. And could you talk about what Pilot has seen this year uh, during the pandemic on the B2C side within its heavy, bulky segment? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, it, it, you know, obviously, COVID uh, hit uh, in March, and we, as a result of the stay-at-home orders uh, that were issued across the entire country, uh, we started to see the B2C business pick up significantly. And, and in the B2C heavyweight, heavy, bulky space, uh, we, we saw exponential growth there. People were obviously buying more product, uh, more material, and more uh things like exercise equipment that could be out, outside pools, anything basketball hoops, anything that could really help them uh, enjoy their time at home. So we saw a significant, significant increase in the B2C space at the start of COVID. 
um, and and we're we're still seeing that that continued rise in the B 2 C business. However, not at the pace that we saw for 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 those really three months during the entire shutdown. Great. And you mentioned uh, e-commerce as one of the primary drivers of growth, and it's probably helpful to dig a little deeper on that dynamic. Uh, and again, as as Pilot focuses on the heavy, bulky segment of the market, uh, it's important to point out that of the top four highest growth e-commerce categories over the past two years, two are the key heavy, bulky categories of furniture and appliance and sports and fitness. And those have also seen accelerating penetration during the pandemic. And just, you know, taking a step back and level setting on the broader trends in e-commerce, U.S. e-commerce sales have grown at a 15% CAGR since 2010, but that has accelerated during the pandemic with analysts uh, forecasting U.S. Uh, e-commerce growth in the range of 18 to 25% for 2020. And on the other hand, the forecast for U.S. retail sales for the year varies widely from down 11% to up 2.5%. And part of the uncertainty there around retail sales growth centers around the amount and duration of future government stimulus. There was the one-time stimulus check paid in addition to the $600 unemployment benefit supplement, which ran you know, from early April to the tail end of the tail end of July. And interestingly, a University of Chicago study found that more than two thirds of people on jobless benefits made more than they did from their unemployment. And so while, you know, there's also certainty on the unemployment rate, which spiked from 4% pre-COVID to 15% in April and is down to, to 8% in August, still elevated. And, you know, despite the high unemployment rate, U.S. household income uh, in June, in July, and August was above the level it was in February, but the uh, but the percentage of household income coming from government payments uh, has increased, and was 17% pre-COVID, and that grew to 31% in April and 26% in May. And so, while it remains unclear how U.S. household income will hold up either from further stimulus or further reductions in the unemployment rate. What seems to be more clear to us is that e-commerce can continue to exhibit strong growth despite declines in overall retail sales. And one uh, one reason for the expected continued e-commerce growth is that there remains significant white space for further penetration, uh, given current e-commerce penetration as, uh, as a percentage of total retail sales was at 11% in 2019. And we look at adjusted retail sales, excluding auto, gas, and food, and the penetration there was 16% for e-commerce, and that's up from 6% in 2010. And J.P. Morgan's latest forecast is for e-commerce penetration to reach 20% of adjusted retail sales in 2020, and that's up from their pre-COVID 2020 estimate of 18%. So effectively, a year or so pulled forward in terms of that that penetration for the pandemic, uh, due to the pandemic. And and that's effectively accelerating what we see as a long-term trend that's expected to continue uh, with penetration reaching 30% by 2024. And so with that background, just on the the growth in e-commerce, which is spurring a shift in uh, in the supply chain landscape, can you talk about the impact that uh, that e-commerce is having uh, on logistics and, and the landscape, Gordon. 
Great. Sure. Thank you, Kirby. Yes. So I think uh, something that helps put uh, e-commerce in perspective as well is, is returns. Returns are a big part of the equation in e-commerce. And the overall returns rate in e-commerce is about 20 to 5 to 30 percent, where on bricks on the bricks and mortar side of the business, between about 8 and 10 percent. So it it is really driving an increased demand for reverse logistics, effective reverse logistics. Um, so it's kind of a good and a bad scenario. It's, it's, it's good that it obviously continues to be more and more greater opportunities, um, but they are operationally, they have some other challenges. Obviously, returning a refrigerator back to its original shipper that's been refused for whatever reason is a lot more complicated and uh, not as uh, neat and organized as you would with a simple uh, return from a bricks and mortar location of a small package. So it does come with its complications, but 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 uh, if you are if you manage to do it efficiently, uh, it can be a large uh, producer of net revenue. And in fact, it's one of our most profitable segments from a net revenue perspective. But uh, not beyond just returns. There's there's other issues that really drive some operational challenges. You're dealing, like I talked about, a refrigerator, sofas, outdoor equipment. Uh, you know, they're less dense, more bulky. Um, and as a result, you end up with higher transactional costs. These are non-conveyable products, like I talked about earlier. So uh, the efficiencies don't really come from the movement of the product in a facility and in a warehouse. They have to come from other areas like IT investment. And, and that really leads us to, to the next section where I talk, we're, we're really, we think about our IT investment as, as, we, as we go forward as a company, really trying to optimize uh, our entire supply chain. Um, things like automated appointments, scheduling, text messaging, route optimization, the use of data and analytics to help drive our performance uh, and, and really squeeze as much efficiency out of the supply chain that we can um, in places that we can. So uh, we really look at all of this uh, technology investment as a, as a way to continue to scale our business. And finally, another trend we're seeing in, in e-commerce from the large e-commerce customers is really their desire to consolidate their vendors, their number of vendors. In the past, they've been comfortable with 30 to 40 type vendors across the country offering basically not standardized solutions. So everyone has their own sort of way of doing things. The large retailers quickly recognize the best solution forward is to, is to try to optimize this network and, and bring as few vendors in as possible. Therefore, they can manage the standards and the procedures and the policies and really the KPIs and metrics to optimize their performance. So we have seen this trend shifting from 30 to 40 type vendors to really a smaller number of vendors to cover the national need and national service requirements of these larger retailers. And during COVID, it was particularly important because our customers really wanted to to, our customers really wanted to see, our customers want to see that you have a standardized solution um, for operational procedures across the entire company. Um, and it really does help with pushing those procedures down to every all the teammates when you're when you're obviously one organization. So um, yeah, I think those Kirby would be would really be some areas that are impacting the supply chain. Great. Thanks, Gordon. And the only other uh thing I'd point out is just the supply chain cost dynamics between brick and mortar and e-commerce and the impact that has had on uh, mode selection. So as you think about brick and mortar, most of the cost is in the container piece. 
and then the truckload or intermodal into a large distribution center. And the last mile in brick and mortar, you can do a you know a full truckload out of the DC with a few store stops. Uh, and the outbound cost is relatively small because it's truckload. So the last mile, you know, while it varies, is only around 10% of the total cost. And historically, the model, you know, it also impacts real estate. As historically, the model was kind of five to seven. DCs that cover the whole country. And e-commerce kind of turns that on its head. So you think about uh, uh, within the e-commerce supply chain, 50 to 80% of the costs are from the fulfillment center to the home because the final mile to consumers is so expensive. And so the optimal model there uh, is different because it's better, you know, we're on the as on the brick and mortar side, it's better to have uh, a fewer lar number of large DCs on the e-commerce side, it's better to have a large number of DCs closer to customers, particularly in urban areas. And I think the other thing you're seeing is that uh, the, this shift fractures the volume throughout the network, which means more of it goes via LTL. because And because uh, LTL is one-tenth of the size of the, the U.S. truckload market and the dollar per pound is uh, around five to ten times higher. A small change from TL into LTL makes a big difference to LTL, but it's hardly noticed on the on the truckload side. And so with that, uh, hopefully we've given our audience a, a good overview of, of what we're seeing, what Gordon's seeing through the lens of pilot uh, on the heavy, bulky last mile market and some of the trends uh, we're seeing from an investor's perspective at ATL partners on the markets. Uh, so that with that, I'll conclude, uh, I'll conclude our webinar.